From the Medical Republic, I'm Francine Crimmins. This is The Tea Room. As the vaccine rollout continues in Australia, some experts are concerned that the true rate of vaccine hesitancy may be higher than the government expects. And as the pandemic continues, there is stronger evidence that the primary way COVID spreads is by aerosol transmission, shifting much of the initial focus away from surface transmission. Today, Associate Professor Hassan Valley on unhelpful cleaning habits and Australia's attitude to being vaccinated. Hassan Valley is an epidemiologist and a senior lecturer at La Trobe University. Many see the COVID vaccine rollout as Australia entering the final phase of the pandemic. Hassan, do you think that in the next few months we're going to start seeing a change in the attitude to how we're fighting the virus? Yeah, I think so. I think as we vaccinate more people, we lower the risk that the virus poses to us at the population level. And as we do this, that means we can start to reduce our restrictions and we can start to transition back to you know, how life used to be. Now, that transition is not going to be immediate. It's going to take a bit of time. But, you know, I do see this as the beginning of the final stage of the pandemic. Do you see that there's any danger in rolling back, you know, some of the harsher restrictions on social gatherings before we get widespread vaccination coverage? Because it, it seems to be happening hand in hand. You know, the vaccines are starting to be rolled out. And at the same time, governments are also, you know, deciding to bring back dance floors and allow more people in family homes, for example. Yeah, look, I mean, I think it's a really important question to address in the sense that we've got to be conscious that we need a certain critical mass of people vaccinated before that risk comes right down. So we've got to be a little bit patient, I guess, in the rate that we go back to the way things were. You know, the big challenge is that risk is never going to come back down to zero or certainly not going to come back to zero in a long time. And so it's going to be an interesting thing to observe when governments feel that that risk has reduced enough to relax some of those restrictions. So it's going to be a real sort of good insight into the tolerance for risk that different governments have. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see in Australia you know, what the federal government feels we should be at and also where the state governments are at. And I guess we're talking about all of this within that immense privilege of the fact that we don't have any community transmission in Australia at the moment, at least when this podcast was recorded. And I mean, that's a very different situation to say the UK who now that they've vaccinated a few hundred thousand people, they're also rolling back their restrictions I assume that that's a far more risky situation of rolling back restrictions too quickly uh, compared to the situation that we have here. Yeah, we're we're in a very lucky and well, I guess lucky doesn't really convey the fact that we deserve the, the position we're in because we took, you know, a very strong approach to controlling transmission of this virus. And so, you know, the advantage of that is that it allows us to be very um, deliberate and purposeful in the way that we roll out the vaccine and then start to release restrictions in a responsible way. So, yeah, the the situation in the UK and the US, for example, is very different. And moving on to the vaccine rollout in Australia, do you think that most Australians will volunteer to be vaccinated in time to reach that 
initial October target that the government has set? Um, look, I think uh, that'll be interesting to watch and see how this unfolds. I think it's a it's a huge logistical challenge just to deliver the vaccine to as many people as we want to deliver it in such a short period of time, and we shouldn't underestimate that. And then, of course, you know, whilst I think most people will be happy to be vaccinated, there's certainly going to be people who are vaccine hesitant. And we're going to have to work really hard to reassure those people that the vaccine is safe and effective and we need to be prepared to answer any questions and concerns that they have. And you have expressed concern in the past with how vaccine hesitancy might actually play out in Australia and that it might actually be underestimated. Are you worried that vaccine hesitancy could be higher? than people think? Yeah, I personally do. I think that there's a big difference between people sort of answering surveys and saying, yeah, I'd be prepared to have the vaccine and then actually going out and doing it. And certainly I live in a pretty um, hipster area of Melbourne and so I try and overhear conversations and there's certainly a lot of people that have some concerns about the fact that we've got a vaccine so quickly and they're sort of suspicious of how that has happened. So, um, and, and of course, there are those that are spreading misinformation about vaccines. So I think there's a lot of work to be done and it's it's just something we, we just have to accept is, is just a fact of life that we're going to have to put in the hard yards to make sure people feel comfortable in getting this vaccine. Yeah, and in terms of people feeling comfortable, do you think that the way that this rollout has been planned in Australia, and that's you know mainly through larger vaccination hubs with local GPs having a staggered entry to the program, that that could contribute to hesitancy because there won't be the incidental vaccination where patients will you know, go and see their local doctor who they trust and at the same time have the ability to be offered the vaccine when they visit? Yeah, look, I'm not sure. I think for me, the the vaccine rollout plan makes sense. Obviously, the first phase is dealing with frontline workers and those that are most vulnerable, and it makes sense for that to be delivered through workplaces. And, you know, GPs will play an important role throughout the delivery of the vaccines. And so, I don't feel like that is one of the going to be one of the big issues in terms of dealing with vaccine hesitancy. I think it's going to be that broader issue of misinformation that gets circulated and whenever you're in a you know a period of such great change as we've been in the last 12 months and you have so much uncertainty, people are cautious and they do worry about things and I think that's going to be our biggest challenge. If we look back to the beginning of the pandemic, one of the major concerns was the role that surfaces were playing in the transmission of the virus. What does the latest evidence tell us? Yeah, look, so I've um, I've written a piece in the conversation about this over the last week, and the evidence really, for me, points to the fact that surfaces don't play a huge role in the transmission of the virus. So, you know, I wouldn't go so far as to say as they don't play a role and they they can't play a role in certain circumstances, but I don't think that is one of the main modes of transmission. And so I've just been advocating for communicating that really clearly and, and giving people a really clear understanding of the the extent of the risk that surfaces pose so that we can adjust our behaviours 
appropriately. And, and I guess by that, I mean that, you know, perhaps we don't need to obsessively clean surfaces 20 times a day and we can ease up on that and concentrate on some of the other things that are going to have a greater effect. Yeah, so there's been a lot of what we've called at the Medical Republic the theatre of cleaning where local and federal governments have people that are wiping over surfaces in, you know, very official outfits and it looks like it's going to help in in stopping the spread of the virus and that may instill a lot of public confidence. But what is useful cleaning and what isn't useful cleaning? just for people who might want to know. Yeah, look, I mean, I think, firstly, I agree with you in terms of the theatre of hygiene, and I, and I think we should adjust our behaviours as the evidence changes in everything to do with COVID-19 and the SARS-CoV-2 virus. And so, you know, it made sense for us to be really cautious at the beginning of this pandemic and do everything to the nth degree. But now I think as we move into the next phase, we can start to put the risks, you know, into perspective. And so from my perspective, hygiene is good. So, you know, it is a good practice to clean surfaces every so often. But I think we can start moving towards just concentrating on our hand hygiene and not cleaning surfaces a ridiculous amount of times per day. And because the real reason we clean surfaces is because we think we're going to touch them and then we may transfer um, virus or, in fact, any other pathogen from a surface um, to our face because we're always touching our face. And, of course, if we touch our face, we might allow the virus to enter into our mouth, our nose or our eyes. And so if we maintain good hand hygiene, to me that's the most effective way to prevent that sort of transfer of pathogen and perhaps we can save millions of dollars um, on not sanitising everything. And as you've said, it's a very expensive exercise. So potentially you're saying governments could actually be saving money by maybe toting down these visible cleaning efforts that might not be very efficacious. I think there's two things. I think you save money, but I also think there's a lot of research that shows that in terms of our mental resources, they're sort of finite. And, you know, if you spend a disproportionate amount of time focusing on surfaces when there's no threat there or very little threat there, then you've got less energy and less mental resources to focus on some of the other things that are more important. So I'm just all about focusing on those things that are important and perhaps having less of a focus on those things that pose a very low risk. I was just going to ask you to finish off, as an expert who's, you know, watched this whole year unfold, there's actually been a lot of public health messaging, you know, from the vaccine that we talked about earlier and, you know, people getting on board to vaccinate themselves against this virus to what we know about this disease and how it spreads and all the ways that we can stop it from spreading from one another it's a mass amount of information. What are your thoughts on on how people have actually gone in being able to take all of this on? Because as we know, sometimes public health messaging takes a decade to get through to people. It seems like, at least to me, that the cut through has been amazing here. I agree. I think the whole last 12 months have been amazing in the way that people have taken on public health messaging and how they've change their behaviour in a way that probably people haven't had to change their behaviour in a generation. So I think it's been a really huge 
learning exercise in terms of how people respond to these sort of crises. And no doubt some of that response has hopefully been, or some of that good response has been driven by an increased trust in experts and the advice that been given over the last 12 months, particularly in Australia. So, you know, we've seen this eroding of trust in experts over the last decade. And I I think that I feel like that started to turn around with with the pandemic. And it's been been one of the, um, you know, great pleasures for me as a public health um, academic and public health practitioner to see people really take on these messages and really change their behaviour in quite massive ways. And what do you think will be the biggest challenge in holding that public attention going forward? Yeah, look, I mean, I think, um, you know, ironically, one of the challenges we have is because we've controlled the virus so well, people haven't sort of either experienced directly in their immediate family or one or two degrees of separation, people who have been really badly affected by COVID-19. And that's certainly the case in the UK and the US, like everyone sort of knows someone who has died or um, has had a friend of the family who has been really ill. And so that's been a really good motivator for people, I think, to, you know, do the right thing and also have the vaccination. So I think this next phase, you know, we're going to have to work hard to just make sure people understand the importance of getting the vaccine and also probably just that, just manage expectations that we can't go straight back to the way things were immediately. And there is going to be maybe the best part of a year where we sort of transition slowly back to the way or something that approximates the way the world used to be. We may never go back to exactly how it was. So I think it's going to be something that's really important for us to sort of navigate over the next little while, just this transition back to the normal world. Hassan, thank you. You're welcome.